This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Atlantic Canada is being bombarded with a winter storm. Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuig has the latest. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. So, Michelle, what's the big picture when it comes to the storm? In the first segment of the show, Laura Bain lives in Halifax, talked a little bit about some personal experiences, but what's the big picture? The big picture is all white. There is a (laughs) ton of snow in Nova Scotia. Um, For those who would recognize the name White One, this storm is being compared to that massive snowstorm that followed a huge hurricane that dumped, oh, I don't know, close to a meter and a half of snow on parts of the province. Um, By the time I logged off work last night, there there was already about a meter of snow on the ground in some parts. Uh, Cape Breton had gone and declared a local state of emergency because everything is so bogged down, they received about 80 centimeters at the the minimum. Um, Halifax is also dealing with, for sure, uh, 70, 75 plus centimeters of snow and of course worth noting that when i logged off last night it was still falling and i believe it still is to some degree it was supposed to start tapering off but what the the forecast was for more snow through today and things starting to ease off through the day and possibly uh ending by tomorrow but it's weather and who knows and i have to flag a hilarious little nugget that my colleague mike mcdonald has at the end of today's latest update um he notes that this storm began oh, mere hours after Shubenacadie Sam emerged and see, saw his shadow portending in early spring, and now they're under a meter of snow. <laughs> just a little so. bit of a just a little bit of a dose there. Yeah, uh, yeah. L- Laura's report was that it's still uh, very, very white and snowy out in those parts. Michelle, what about some of the major impacts here? Closures, power outages, anything mm. on that front? Yeah, the latest that I could see from my uh, my colleagues in Halifax is that there are about 6,000 people without power, which is a lot, but also not as much as perhaps one might have expected for a storm of this size. Um, closures, lots of things are closed. Transit buses are off the roads in Cape Breton, uh, likely off the roads in Halifax today, too. Certainly, they were... Uh, the routes were truncated and and the buses were delayed even getting on the roads yesterday in the first place. Um, lots of government offices are closed or opening late. Um, a lot of municipal services have had to be put on hold entirely, of course, because no one can get anywhere at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a bit hard to uh, really get everything into focus when when the storm is still ongoing. That's what's yeah. so crazy about this one is that it's just it's been a three or a three day event by now. Yeah, and it's just another reminder about the disproportionate impact on people. People with disabilities to think about sidewalks not oh, being cleared, roads not being cleared, people using mobility devices, people who rely on public transit. It's it's once it's Michelle, we kind of hit it every single time we talk about a major storm, but there is a disproportionate impact on people with disabilities. There just is. I oh there there absolutely is. I I, I my heart was bleeding for Guide dog users and mobility device users and all kinds of people yesterday. I remember when a a storm hit Toronto, where I am, a couple of years ago and dumped 65 centimeters in about 15 hours. So that's uh, that's objectively a big dump. But it's it pales in comparison to what Nova Scotia is dealing with right now. So I, I really feel for all yeah. of everyone who's trying to navigate all that. And it's worth noting, too, it's not just Nova Scotia. Parts of PEI and Newfoundland are also being hit quite hard by this. Not yeah. to the same degree, but 
we're still talking, you know, 40 to 50 centimeters of snow in those areas. So that's no joke. Either. That's a lot of snow, a lot of yeah. snow. <laughs> All right, Michelle, let's uh, get to a couple other news items here. The federal government is extending its foreign home buyers ban for another two years. Uh, kind of an odd yeah. Sunday political announcement on this one. What, yeah, what was, we didn't see that one coming at all. What, what was their <laughs> rationale? Uh, they are saying that it's part of, basically they're just saying the affordability crisis continues. Uh, housing issue remains a big problem. This is one of many tools at our disposal to try and tackle it. Ergo, we're going to extend it for another couple of years. You might remember this was a, a tax that was put in place excuse me, not a tax, a ban that was put in place at the beginning of 2023 that was meant to stop foreign companies and people who were neither permanent residents nor Canadian citizens from buying residential properties. It was supposed to expire at the end of this year and come off entirely in January of 2025. And now that date has been pushed to 2027. In terms of rationale, that's pretty much all they said. Yeah. Everything was done by statement. There was no news conference, so no opportunity for a lot of follow-up questions. Um, but that is basically it. That they, you know, the, the the line is that they're using all tools at their disposal to tackle the the housing supply yeah. crisis. I I would, if there'd been a press conference, I would have loved for someone to ask a question about whether or not real estate investment trusts have been exempt from this ban, because it really appears that American REITs are still buying up lots of Canadian real estate. So that, that to me, that would be a fascinating follow-up as politicians make their way onto Parliament Hill today to maybe ask a little bit of accountability on this. I have very little doubt that Najud Amelie's or Tara Deschamps or some of my colleagues in our business department will be all over those kinds of questions. Uh, that's exactly the sort of thing that our real estate reporters will have yeah. top of mind right now, I'm sure. As well as just trying to gauge, it's kind of funny given that we don't really have a sense of what impact the foreign homebuyers ban even had in the first place. A, we're only halfway through it, and there hasn't been a lot of numbers coming in yet, so we don't really have a sense of of uh, how much of a, yeah. of a chill that really did have. The, the Some people seem crunching. to think that it's... Yeah, exactly. There, there, there are, there's a school of thought that it did kind of take the air out of the situation, um, but by extension, there's some concerns that perhaps there isn't a whole lot left to get out of this and that mm. this, this ban will have limited effect going forward. So we'll see. Michelle, let's go back to a provincial story that has become quite a national one. The Quebec government going ahead with oh, a yeah. policy to increase tuition for out-of-province university students. You and I have talked about this a couple of times now, including a really great news panel a few months ago. But there's been some back and forth on this recently. So what is the back and forth? Mm. So the back and forth, uh, my colleague Thomas McDonald and Morgan Lowry captured this one yesterday, so worth checking out. There was a committee that was mandated by the government to provide some advice on this issue. And the committee did ultimately provide its advice and said, please reconsider this tuition hike. It's worth noting that the government has already scaled it back from what we discussed on that news panel segment that you talked about, Dave. At that point, they were proposing to almost double the tuition um, from 9000 ish dollars to 18000 ish dollars. Um, they've walked that back, and now the, the, the hike that they're mandating is up to $12,000. So it's a 33% increase instead of a doubling. Uh, that said, the committee was pushing back and saying, no, 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 this is still going to compromise access to education. Uh, students are being asked to take on far too much cost and debt with this. Don't do it. Please don't do it. And the government has said, Okay, thanks, committee. First of all, your sum your submission came in after the deadline, and B, we're going to go ahead anyway. So yeah, this yeah. is where we are. That, that's that's <laughs> um, that's where we are. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, argu the argument that was made by the ministry is that, that whatever economic argument that this committee wanted to make, it, it doesn't hold water versus the cultural argument the government's making. And, and I thought that was a very interesting quote from the statement saying, hey, we, we always understood this was going to be an economic consequence, but we are legislating something different here. We're not worried about the dollars and cents. That's exactly right. In fact, what they said was the committee is, is is ignoring or misunderstanding the goals of this legislation in the first place. So they're coming at it from very different perspectives. The government's point is that we're trying to address a financial imbalance between English language universities and French language ones. We're also trying um, to, to have less money concentrated on students who probably aren't going to stay in the province after they graduate. So that is, this whole measure is the, that is the lens through which the government is viewing it and enacting it. Um, so the committee's, uh, the, the, the government's position was that the committee did not even engage with those goals and focused on different issues and said they're going to forge ahead. Mm -hmm. And the, the plan is still now to have those tuition hikes in place for the fall. Michelle. Thank you for this. It feels like it's been a, a difficult couple of weeks for colleges and universities around the country. So, yes, uh, we'll, so we'll true. stay on this. We'll stay on this education beat. You bet. Absolutely. <laughs> Michelle, talk to you on Friday for the news panel. Take oh, care. Wait, wait, Thanks, Michelle. Thanks. Michelle, I'm, oh, I'm a bad yes. host. I'm a bad television host. During the break, you and I talked about asking you the daily poll question, and I oh. don't want to miss that opportunity to get the perspective of more people with disabilities on this. The poll, by all means, which folks can find at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, how much do the aesthetics of assistive technology influence whether or not you'll use it? A lot, a little, or not at all? I'm going to have to go with a lot. This will not surprise anyone that knows me. Uh, I, I am slightly vain, I will have to admit. But I also think context matters. I actually loved listening to the, 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 the eavesdropping on the conversation you were having before the break. And I think Laura really nailed it when she was talking about something looking truly medical. That uh, I think that has a lot to, get to do with pushing back against the medical model of disability that we've all kind of chafed under. No one wants to feel like a patient. And I think in terms of certain... Uh, specific devices or specific pieces of tech, that's when it really matters most. For me, I wear prosthetics, but for me, they're my eyes. So the aesthetics are really, really key for me on that one. I, I will absolutely spend a lot of time trying to do that. Um, I love the fact that iPhones allow one to blend in and, and it'd still be a very powerful accessibility tool. I totally recognize that my emphasis on this maybe reflects a bit of internalized ableism. Um, I, I, I know that's a thing. But here we are, and, and for me, that's where I land. I, it, it does matter to me. I think, as I think as people with disabilities, we're allowed to have internalized ableism. We're, we're allowed to have our own vain yeah. feelings. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. And, yeah. and, and in a way, that's, that's, that can be seen as, I don't know, I, I guess it means different things to different people. But for me, it, it matters, and, and I feel empowered when I'm able to, um, to, to blend in a little bit more that way. Michelle, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. No. Yeah, you too. Take care. Don't forget, you can vote on the poll at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Coming up after the break, technology conversation continues. Denis Boudreaux explores how the rise of wearable technology could have major implications for assistive devices and services. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, 
Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.